May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. These words come from the writer of Ecclesiastes, a book of wisdom literature. We're more familiar with chapter 3 from Ecclesiastes, which is often read at a funeral. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. Today's reading comes from chapters 1 and 2, so before that statement about these times in our lives, right? The reading we have today describes our human lives as vanity. The Hebrew word is hevel. Its literal meaning is breath, vapor, or breeze. So we can understand the writer to be using hevel as a metaphor for impermanence. Our lives, our worries, our work, even our joys and laughter are passing on a breeze. Our very breath is provisional. The wisdom, according to the writer, is to recognize this ephemeral nature of our creatureliness and to live with gratitude and joy in the time and with the breath God has given us. The actual vanity is to imagine that we can create permanence, that we can control outcomes, that somehow our plans create reality. So you can see, right, why this text is put in conversation with today's reading from Luke's Gospel, often referred to as the parable of the rich fool, a story not of wisdom, but of folly. The rich man was busy planting bigger barns to store his ever bigger harvests, thinking that having those big barns full of grain would be the thing that would allow him to breathe and relax and to enjoy his life. But God calls him a fool. For it turns out that tonight is his time, the end of his life. So much for the plan, right? So how do we live in between these two stories, right? Responsible planning, yes, and enjoying our days. How do we plan for the future? How do we do our work in ways that create meaning but do not take away our hope and our gratitude 
and our playfulness. For these two texts are really challenging, right? These are very real questions. The writer even suggests that the work that we do is going to get passed on to those who come after us, and we don't have any control over what that might look like. So do I give up working hard and saving for the future so I can eat, drink, and be merry today? Or do I take on the problems of the world for ourselves and for those who do come after us and work for healing and justice and peace and care for our Trinity Church and for our community and for our families? How do we invite wisdom and folly to play together? And how do we not lose hope in the face of the seemingly intractable problems we face in our world today? I have two thoughts. First, most of you remember that I'm hanging out with Thomas Merton this summer. He's a Trappist monk, lived in the 20th century. And in 1966, he wrote a letter to a young peace activist who had reached out to him. And this peace activist was devastated by the continuing war in Vietnam, the continued loss of life among not only the soldiers but all of the civilians in Vietnam. And honestly, right, sitting here today, you can just substitute the word Ukraine, right, for Vietnam. This peace activist was completely discouraged at the seeming lack of effect that his efforts made to bring peace and political change. We know some of those people now. I had written the word young, but I'm going to change it to say there are old and young and everybody in between. People who are concerned about our climate. People who are concerned about peace. About all of the gun violence in our society. And those people, you may be one, express similar frustration to that young man about their efforts to effect change, to wonder whether all our striving is making any difference, or if it is all vanity, pebble. So this is what Merton wrote back to his young friend. As much as we so deeply desire to turn around our national narratives and impact the national policies which are so important, we will never know if we will, no matter how much we try. Will we make a difference? Who knows? Only God knows. And we never know whether what we have done will change things or when God might work through us 
and our work, even unexpectedly. And we will never know beforehand what will happen and when. So do the work. Find the value in it. Focus on relationships. And be open to timetables that we cannot control or predict. Often we will be disappointed, but sometimes we will be surprised. So Jim Wallace, commenting on Merton's letter, says this, Self-satisfaction cannot be the ultimate motivation for our work, but rather persistent faithfulness. Persistent faithfulness to what we know to be right and good and true, and to the integrity of our relationships. That is what will lead to a trust in God's grace and love and truth. So I think self-satisfaction was what the rich farmer was after, right? By saving it all up for himself, he predicted that he would be satisfied and able to enjoy his life. But the wisdom writer tells us that it's persistent faithfulness to God's grace, faithfulness to work that has meaning because it is true and authentic and done from a place of love, honoring of the relationships that are involved in our work, that these things are what matter in our present day. To be in the present. To realize, right, that it's all fleeting. So the time we have is now. The time we have is the present. And when we can be in the present with faith that God is at work in all things, we can breathe in each moment with that trust and with hope. Our work and our lives will pass away. But our moment, this moment, is for love, for relationship, for presence. In a few minutes, we will celebrate someone who understands this really well, Nancy Marshall. She's the perfect example of someone who has done the daily work of finance and bookkeeping here at Trinity for over 28 years. She did it with care and with love and with a deep respect for the relationships we all have with each other and with Trinity Church. Nancy understands that our gifts of money are not about the checks but about relationships, about love, about honoring the work we do here together. So my second suggestion about this vanity, hevel, 
folly question is that we continue to pray for the Holy Spirit of God to breathe on us, to breathe in us each moment, to keep us aware of where our breath comes from, to keep us happy for the heaven, grateful for the changing, life-giving moments that we are given, so that we are aware enough to always say, Thank you. Thanks be to God.